and welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly panel discussion program. We explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough, Ontario, and Canada. Since March of 2020, we've been gathering online for these discussions. The discussion to which you were about to listen was recorded May 2nd, 21. Joining me for this discussion are three people with lots of knowledge about homelessness and tiny homes. We have Dan Hennessy, activist. We have have Sue Gontier, who's a community advocate, and Stephen Hailstrom, who's VP of Operations for Metalinga Modular uh, Nose Construction. So in this program, we're going to look at the building of tiny homes as a solution to the lack of affordable housing in Peterborough and as a housing option for those people who are currently homeless in town and either sleeping outside or in shelter. Now, if you click on the archive tab of this podcast on our website, you'll notice that we've done a fair amount on homelessness. At the beginning of March, just a few weeks ago, well, homelessness and housing, we broadcast just a few weeks ago a program that first aired in April of 2020 on the effect of the pandemic on our homeless population. Our panelists were Megan Hinnekamp of the Yes Shelter and Christian Harvey of One City Peterborough. And sadly, their predictions concerning the severity of the housing situation for low-income people uh, this past winter were unfortunately wrong. The reality of the the housing crisis for low-income and marginalized people this winter was far worse than even they had predicted. Peterborough's notoriously low vacancy rate means that there are always more people looking for accommodation than there is housing to take up the slack. While there is a lack of housing across the income spectrum, this problem is especially acute for low-income citizens. During the summer of 2019, when uh, downtown shelter closed, homeless people started camping out in parks downtown, notably Victoria Park on Water Street. Suddenly, Peterborough's homeless problem was visible for all to see. Dire situation of homelessness became impossible to ignore. Some limited progress has been made since then, but the problem remains. A few projects are in the planning stages, but for now the situation remains critical. There is only so much our municipal government can do without massive funding from the province and the federal government. So why is housing for low-income people so important? Research has shown that the single most effective action societies can take to break the, the crushing cycle of poverty is provide basic housing. So why don't we heed these research conclusions and build this desperately needed housing? The cost government in this country tells us is prohibitive. So what else can be done? In addition to providing limited social housing, subsidized housing for those in need, the city also has a rent subsidy program. While this helps some people stay sheltered, this program has the unfortunate side effect of buoying up the currently inflated housing market. As rents increase, the city can afford fewer and fewer subsidies. The Ontario and federal government continue to say the right words, but the solutions are not forthcoming. Building housing in Canada is an expensive uh, game. Are there any lower cost options? This is where tiny homes come in. So here's my first question for us. Could someone explain what uh, tiny homes are and how they might help the housing crisis in Peterborough? I can jump in on that question. It's how much does it cost to have somebody in the Brock Mission for a month? $1,700. Wow. It's 
$1,700 a month. It's a tiny home. It's, you look at Cass Community Center in Detroit. Yeah, you look at Mobile Loaves and Fishes, where I've, I've purchased the movie from, and I'll show anybody that wants to see it. it it's more economical. It, give, it gives people a quality of life. It's people live in the mission systems, and they don't escape. It's, and and that's, that's said in the movie. It's housing somebody in a mission is not housing. It's, they, it's a revolving door thing of problems. It's give people pride of ownership, give people a sense of belonging. And Mobile Loaves and Fishes, the movie, it's they build community. It's like, Bill, I don't know how long you've done pints in politics, and, but the, the people that live in the mission, they stay at the mission. And I get so upset when my friends tell me that's their address. This is where yeah. I live. Right. It's it, that that seventeen hundred a month. If I do the math, that's close to twenty thousand a year. If someone's you know yeah. long term homeless, that's amazing. I yeah. didn't know that. And, and 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 it's in the friggin' housing fundamental reports that are published every year. And and then, and and that's obscene. And you look at a oh. bachelor apartment in Peterborough. The average rents nine hundred and seventy nine dollars a month. So it would be it would be cheaper for social services to friggin' boost their rates to basic income and give somebody a decent rate to live on. Yes, and to keep people in mentions and to keep people in shelters. And like why do you do you not have Bill McNabb on your show? Why doesn't he ever talk? He's got he doesn't talk to nobody. It's and Bill McNabb, it's like he gets city funding. He makes over a hundred thousand dollars a year in salary, and he should be forced to talk. And if the city doesn't want, if the, if he doesn't talk, the city should fire him. Can Bill McNabb of the Brock Mission. I jump in here for a second. This is Susan. Here. Just this as, is Susan. Dan, as Dan said, Hi, under Dan. housing fundamental in 2019, the base funding for Peterborough emergency shelters was one million six hundred one thousand three hundred forty. I mean, when you think of that, the number of bed days, 26,713. And the difference from 2018 to 2019, 11.7% increase up what the statistics would be for the last year or so. Yeah. And in, in the movie Dan referenced, what really struck me, and I've seen it twice as we try to gather community support for building building something from the ground up, is simple housing is not the solution to homelessness. Mm -hmm. Hopelessness is worse than homelessness. People experiencing homelessness, having no acceptance, sense of belonging, sense of place, and really not living a life. And it's really all across the province, all across the country, in the States, like Dan said, Austin, Texas, I mean, the most unlikely communities, people have got over the stigma attached to people with experiencing homelessness and what they're all about and gotten to know them so that when they build the communities, other people want to live there, not just poor people, not just people who've been traumatized, who've, who've lived rough for years and years and years, people who haven't, like me, like someone who worked in social services for 30 years, only saw solutions in bringing people together with respect and dignity. 
it, that is what a community really is. Yeah, um, I've heard reference to this movie. Could someone give me the the title of that movie again and where it's uh, the film and where it's available? The community first. I sent you, I sent you the Vimeo link. It's, okay. I, I bought the I bought the educational license part. If anybody wants to see it, please get in touch with me through Peterborough Street Voice. It's right. uh, get get in touch with Sue. Is right. I'll share the Vimeo link with her, but I, I can't. Yeah, and it's it's an awesome movie, and it's about building community. It's housing too, but it's community, and community is so important. And yeah. like, yeah, it's. I was a vol. I was a volunteer at the warming room for a while, but it was a relational model, and that that relational model is so important. And right. community first. That shelter down in Texas or whatever it is, tiny home community. It's like they, they've got friggin' little micro programs going. It's they've got an iron forge. People like arts and crafts, and they yeah. they do iron working, and it's just amazing. It's uh, we've talked to a homeowner here, or we've talked to a landowner here in Peterborough. He's got 33 acres of land. I think he's on the same page as us. It's and uh, we we can do the same thing here. And we need community support. And if anybody wants to see the movie, and Sue's seen the movie, there's a bunch of people who've seen the movie. And sometimes the movie brings people to tears because it's such a positive movie, and it shows hope, shows hope what what people can do. Bill. And uh, Bill, hi, this is Stephen Hailstrom. You know, I've been uh, a homeless advocate or involved in, in the homeless community for many years as well. And and I think that the these answers that Susan and Dan are talking about seem terribly obvious. And being kind of a practical, pragmatic kind of a person in you know the world of construction, really what I'm what I'm hearing is I'm hearing well we need community support. I think what we what we need to do is we we need to garner somehow or another just simply the the money to do it because I think people are motivated to do this. I worked on a homelessness initiative with the with BC Housing in Vancouver because their ho- homelessness problem was so giant there, but it took political willpower. Simple as that. The mayor of the city had to say. Enough is enough. We need the, the cure for homelessness, our homes and community. And that the mayor pushed the whole thing through, found the money from the province and got got the job done. I mean there is money there. Just takes it just takes political initiative in order to to make it happen. And uh, certainly I have seen the plan that Dan has put forward in you know with this 30 acres of land using that model i think that that's one that in essence could be if somebody said hey steven go you have permission to do this then you could have that community built and ready to be occupied in 10 months so where is how 
from a practical standpoint, how do we get that political support to make that happen? Now, this program we're, we're recording, of course, will be broadcast on Trent Radio, and it'll be posted as a podcast. So there could be quite a range of people who listen to this who, of course, don't have the background that the three of you have in this issue. So my next question is, why should any level of government provide any housing? including tiny homes, to low-income people. Don't we already provide welfare, meals, and shelter beds? Isn't that enough? On really cold nights, why don't homeless people just sleep in one of their shelters provided by taxpayers? Um, uh, do you know how much it costs to keep somebody? Uh, I've told you it costs $1,700 a month to stay right. in the shelter bed. The, the right. cost of the University of Montreal did a study. They followed 30 people. So some of the people, some of the low-income people, they were over $300,000 a month, or $300,000 a year, sorry, and, and social costs. It's right. when, you, when you figure out welfare, when you, when you figure out the cost, it's like, okay, so somebody goes to forecast, and they're, they, they've, they've got four forecast workers. They've got one welfare worker. It's, that, that's that's $200,000 a year right. in their right. salaries. Plus, plus their thirteen thousand dollars, what they get, it's 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 the whole poverty industry has got to get abolished. That's why we need to come up with basic income. The basic income is a guaranteed annual income supplement, and uh, right. uh, other countries have adopted it. And yeah. it's and and we need a basic income now, and it gives people freedom, and it, it's going to let social workers actually do social work. For people that want help, we don't need five welfare workers and five forecast workers for each person. No, no I was just going to say, if, if tiny, no, tiny homes are a more cost-effective way of providing housing to low-income people, why haven't more local governments done this already in Canada? More, more local governments are doing it time and time again. Kitchener just legalized them and then Peterborough for a friggin' backwoods community. It's like right. now you can have a secondary suite in your backyard, but you can't right. build a tiny home on a vacant lot. Uh, Duro Dummer has, has licensed tiny homes. It's oh. uh, Peter, Peterborough hasn't. It's uh, the mayor. She's the biggest hypocrite there is. When, when she moved here, she lived in a converted garage, which was a tiny home. And she's told me she loved it. It was the best time she had. But now she's against it because it goes against the tax base. Medicine Hat. Medicine I've heard they've done, they've done something out there. Have they built tiny homes? Is it Medicine Hat in Alberta, the community? Uh, uh, yes. Okay. Medicine Hat, they, they're the first community that say they've achieved zero homelessness, which, which they've, they've done a lot to cure homelessness, but there's always going to be homelessness because somebody gets released from an institution, somebody gets released from jail, somebody gets released from the hospital. They've, they, they've achieved functional zero. It's anybody that wants housing has got housing. It's right. whether that be they, they put people up in a motel. It's they, and Peterborough should strive, strive to do what Madison had did. It's like if, if people could get put up in hotels, that yeah. that's fine. Yeah, they, they haven't cured homelessness, but they've, they've achieved functional zero. So if somebody gets released, 
yeah, somebody gets released from an institution, a jail, whatever. Yeah. It's they're they're put up in a hotel. There should there not a lot of people sleeping on the streets unless people want to sleep on the streets. And yeah. we we will all no matter what we do, it's we could build a million tiny homes here in Peterborough. Some people will still want to sleep outside, and there's, there's always going to be homeless. It's right. you, you think it's like I don't know. I, I, I'm going to get religious here on, on, on for a sec. It's Jesus Christ. He was a homeless guy. Like <laughs> he, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jesus Christ was a homeless guy. He even walked the road to Galilee. It's he friggin' he 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 depended on people's charity. It's and what what would we think of Jesus now? What what are all these people thinking? It's like Jesus was a yeah. Jesus was a homeless guy. He roamed around. He was like a hobo. Just to wonder, would a resident of a tiny home that was provided by tax dollars actually own that home? If you um, cast community center, it's it's a really good Facebook page. It's a tiny home community in Detroit. It's mm-hmm. uh, you rent it for five years, a dollar a square foot, and right. so typically three hundred and eighty square feet. After five years, then they ask you, "Hey, do you want to become an owner?" And and most people do. And these aren't just for homeless people. These are for students that have just graduated. These are for sure, middle income sure. people. There's, there's seniors that are living there, and uh, but when when you have your own little tiny space, you take pride right. of ownership. It's yeah. like you you have a little garden outside, and it, it's just amazing the community they built. And now, like, would they pay a reduced rent? Well, uh, the, the, the one dollar a square foot is a reduced yeah, rent. Yeah, already. yeah, yeah, right. And and I think that. I think the answers, uh, I was just going to add, I, I mean, I think that the, these answers are obvious. It's the political willpower to make it happen and how to, how to do that. Like what is the, you have the problem, you have the thing. And so how, is it, Dan, would you, Dan, Susan, would you say it's just the politicians in Peterborough that resist this idea because they have money the federal government is willing to subsidize modular housing. They're doing it in Toronto. The CMHC has money to spend on these projects. There's money out there. There's property owners. There is companies willing to build and and uh, put the stuff together. So if it's all about the politicians, then you, you know what is uh, the, the answer is then get rid of those politicians. Then I guess. There's so much of a strong feeling of frustration, and obviously you can hear that with Dan, and and I get passionate about it because this has been so, so long, and we've been part of things trying to work with various levels of government. Recently, there was the Rapid Housing Initiative, and our federal MP really had brought our message from Peterborough, and there was a modular housing um, 10 units that was supposed to happen on Monaghan Road, but Whatever happened in the transition, it didn't get in there in time. We were rallying around trying to get someone to take the lead because we don't, we're kind of, we're in over our head in some ways. We're not planners. We're not, we aren't money people. We're not developers. But we know, Dan knows because he walks every day with the people with, that are experiencing it right now, that are suffering with it right now. But it has to be, well, we have to build, we have to, we're trying to show this film and have a discussion and invite different members of the 
community who have, who maybe can more easily get the ear of politicians that have diverse experiences. Some are wealthy, some aren't. Some are social workers, some are doctors, some are, I mean, all the different people so that the politicians are forced to actually listen and go, hey, people are, this is really a thing. People, we, this could, we need this. Everyone sees a need. And I think people are starved right now for a way to contribute. Isolation kills. And in this pandemic, isolation that people are feeling and the helplessness, I think people want to do something. If it said we could get them, we could get the political will, have the money, you know, I think it, it could happen really easily. And the volunteer base we have is there from when Dan and I worked together. That's how I knew him from Carol's place. That so, was a uh, community, so hub, like... community hub that we had that brought people off the street. And people, even in that we had for a year in Peterborough Square, People came in off the street, had conversation, had someone, had had caring. We were able to connect them with services through there. It wasn't just these silos of different agencies. It was actually, a, you know, a brothers and sisters together, just people that treated people as they would anyone. We're as diverse. And, the, and so the t- so-called tiny homes community, it may not be just tiny homes. In the video, it's... It started out with one RV, an old rickety RV that they plopped on this land that this group of fellows said, hey, let's try it. They started out with that. There's there's teepees, there's tiny homes. They've built it and they've built a social enterprise, a food growing community, a skilled trade center. So instead of having these all isolated under agency umbrellas, so right. no one knows about it, if it's together then it's not a ghetto it is actually a community like in any neighborhood and they call each other their their neighbors it doesn't right. matter when they go to work in the grounds whether they Brands. were homeless yep. they're neighbors together they're all and working together and they love the sense of you know of what it brings and they don't want to leave. Some people think they're coming as workers and they move there and stay there. So something right. has to be said for that. Yeah, and if, if I can, if I can just make sure. a comment on that. Well said, Sue. Yeah, it's Stephen here again, is that certainly in the UK, uh, a number of years ago, they used a, a program or they developed a program where building, what they did was they created a community uh, where the manufacturing of the modular homes, so they were modular tiny, tiny homes, but they weren't on wheels, so they were tiny homes. They mm-hmm. actually, the community actually built them, and mm-hmm. the people who contributed to the building enterprise then ended up occupying them, and they all did that on the site that they ended up with the with the uh, with the buildings in it, but. Just again, because of my practical nature, I would put out right now as I have in because I'm in the construction world and I know that that I have over my tenure in modular, I have designs for, for example, I'm looking at one of my computer screens right now, which is 15 to three story uh, building with uh, 15 micro suites that are say 350 square feet. And that building can be put into an area that might be 100 feet by 100 feet, a plot. And I'm uh, willing to work with whoever you want in Peterborough 
to implement that design, just find the place and the uh, funding to build it and built at a reasonable, very reasonable price, then, you know, it, it can be done because quite honestly, I mean, it, it, as, as Bill was saying, it's very frustrating to continue to hear, you know, to talk about this when everything is there. I don't know what happened with that modular 10-unit. No, we've, we've, got, we've got the place that's on Monaghan Road. We want you to build it. That's okay, it. And then just give me the address there. I'll send somebody. Yeah, I'll go the, myself. The, to no, the the city was going to build it. It's the old Pace School, whatever it was before that. And the city, and Sue talked about it, they, the city, Peterborough puts in everything at the last minute, the rapid housing initiative, and, and then the city says, oh, well, sorry, they didn't have any money left. It's, and it, the, it was a federal government program, and they said it was first come, first serve. The city waits until the last day to apply for it. Like London has, has had their modular homes up for four months before the city even applied. It's the city could have applied for it right at the start, and they could have got money. And well, well, no, they wait until the last day, and then they can't because oh no, we don't we don't have money for this rapid housing initiative. It was supposed to be a shovel-ready project. Well, they didn't tear the old school down, whatever was there. And then the city says, well, no, it's a Fed's problem now because we applied for it. And Keith Real, he's on social services. He's a chair of social services. I went and had Thanksgiving with him a couple of years ago with my ex-girlfriend. And he, 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 he says, oh, we're doing this, we're doing this. Oh, we put enough money towards homelessness. It's, you don't. And now with this pandemic, more people are getting homeless, and unhoused. It's, and yeah. you look at... Yeah, you look at rents in Peterborough, they're becoming astronomical, and but we'll give money to developers to do nothing. Now, we've talked about these tiny homes, but the tiny homes you're describing are very small. Like, can people live in, uh, let's say, 300 square feet for more than a few weeks? 380 square feet, It's people can, people can live in it. It's like you, you look at these tiny homes, absolutely. These aren't temporary. In other words, this could be someone's home for a long time. Yes. This could be someone's home forever. It's their forever home. You have well, a little garden outside. You have, you have, yeah. yeah, you have a little garden outside. It's like a, a modular, modular home or whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, pe- people enjoy it. It's like it's a, it's a space to call your own. It's a, a place where you're going to be safe. It's you, yeah. you can come in and go and you can lock the door and yep. you people are going to look after it and they're going to friggin' like it a lot better than staying in a shelter system. And, and, what, and what you okay. do is, and what you do though, is you combine that certainly initially and in making sure that you have services available as required, especially in the early days. No, of, absolutely. Of that. Mm-hmm. So that people have, services, you know, whether it be employment, social services, no. whatever whatever is deemed to be appropriate. And that's part of the whole that's part of the whole thing. Like in the building I described, what you do is use one unit to house uh you know, to house uh, office space for people to have 
you know, uh, conference rooms or uh, whatever it might be to provide services. No, and when, when you try to take people out of homelessness, you have to have wraparound services. And, and this isn't the nine to five, you've got to have services. 24. There. Oh, yes, 24 hours a day, because mm -hmm. you don't know when somebody's going to crisis. Hey, somebody might want to come talk to me at 11 o'clock at night. And I've certainly gone and talked to people at 11 o'clock at night and 2 o'clock in the morning. And, right. uh, but you can't get that from traditional services. And right. I don't know, Bill, I, I, I sent you a copy of the movie. I sent you the Vimeo code. And I, right. I okay. hope you watched it. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, but it's just so important. It's like this isn't the be-all, end-all, but this is a big friggin' tool in the toolbox to end homelessness. A lot of a lot of my friends deal with forecast or deal with, I won't say any agencies, but a lot of my friends deal with agencies and they only go from nine till five. And then after yep. that, you're screwed. And yep. uh, like I was a volunteer at the warming room for a number of years. And uh, it's like, I, I talked to a guy today and he said, I was the best friggin' volunteer at the warming room. And because I would friggin' go and talk to him, I would meet with him at different times. He would call me. And I would say, yeah, I'm coming to meet you. And like he used to friggin' threaten to commit suicide or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I used to have to go talk to him. It's, and, uh, and that's what this community, it's, it's building a community where people care and people listen and people talk. It's for many of the marginalized people, they're shunned, shunned by everybody. It's, but when you, when you have a community, when you build a community and, uh, like Sue eloquently said, it's like so many people want to come there and do it. And if you watch the movie, it's there's missionaries there that are coming and staying there for years. And it's just amazing. It's just, yeah, it's just amazing. And and we could, and I know the movie that I, I bought or whatever, Community First, it's in Austin, Texas, and they've got like 1.2 million people. Peterborough's got 88,000 people. So we're not right. doing anything big. But we've got right. we've got a landowner, and he's he potentially he's got 33 acres where he right. he might like he's on the same page, and right. so we're like if if we could have 15 tiny homes, then right. that, that that's the 15 people out of poverty, and it's it's going to make people it's going to build a community, and we're going to have little social enterprises, and uh, people can make a dignified income whatever yep. they want maybe they, yeah and so it's just amazing the possibilities are here and uh but we all need help we all need help it's uh like steve steven he's been a developer and he's been a planner for some of this stuff but we we need we need help doing some of this stuff it's uh for sure here how would the builders of these homes the tiny homes overcome the resistance that might come up from local residents like the whole nimby thing how can nimbyism be turned around to support into support and advocacy and being good neighbors i i, I want to answer that Stephen. here because dealt with that uh, i put in uh, 600 of these units uh, these transitional housing units in vancouver 
And one of the things that happened as each of the buildings was being built was that the, the community, because the city of Vancouver used surplus land, and often that land was in communities that were higher end communities. And it was, it was very interesting to watch the nimbyism appear in those communities when you had people very concerned, you know, oh, these homeless people are going to be in my, it's going to reduce the cost of the, my value of my property and all of these things, which right. none of it came true. And in essence, now, years later, uh, the communities are, have, have really taken hold of the people who have lived there and made it part of the, the, the transitional people are now a firm part of the community. And I'm sure that the people who were protesting at the uh, construction entrances are now embarrassed by even thinking that they were uh, participating in in uh, such a thing at the time like how do you encourage that sort of acceptance to happen well, well i don't think si- there's encouragement i don't think there's encouragement i think you just have to people just it, it just has to happen they can protest but the city and in the city of vancouver what they did was they just basically said hey we're doing it thank you right it's required people are homeless people are in need we have to get people off the street. You can't complain about the downtown core being filled with homeless people and then say, well, you can't have them near me. So right. uh, yep. what are you, you going to do with them? It's, uh, you, you know, people sometimes just have to be, it has to, the, the hypocrisy that Dan is talking about and Susan is talking about, this hypocrisy sometimes needs to be pointed out directly to people and saying, hey, you, you know, it's the way it is. We are Canadians. We help each other. We do things for each other. It's part of our nature as a country. Sue here. I think, and that's what, like, the the tent city, so-called tent city, uh, that we had uh, in uh, in the park that summer was was just a glaring example. Like, passions were so high. There were people that were literally there every day helping people that were living there to survive. On the other hand, there were screaming out of their cars and standing on the other side of the road hurling insults at people it was such it was really eye-opening to see that the problem right now is trying to raise the profile trying to bring awareness to this idea of this project and what the benefits could be for all of us for all of us moving forward it's really hard it's really hard to get out there and to be able to do it it's great that we're do- we have platforms like yours here to be able to do that and and screen the movie that Dan was brought to us and have a discussion every couple of weeks on Zoom or whatever. So more and more people that have this terrible idea of what they devalue and and give no worth to people that are struggling with homelessness, they start to really think, oh well, I know Sue and she's. She's talking about them as their, her friend, and Dan's her friend, and his friend is a friend. We are all the same, and our housing mm-hmm. needs and sense of belonging are the same, and it's right. diverse. We could have a community like in Austin, Texas, where it's not—it's some tiny homes on one level. There's there's RVs on another level. It's not one size fits all. Homeless people who live when they want to finally get up, have a home, or when they get a chance to. It's going to be different. Some will be really small. Maybe some people will be 
we'll be able to find a way to have something a, a little bit bigger. In the movie, right. there were some people that they couldn't even sleep inside their tiny home. They'd been outside for so long, they were afraid that someone would come and kick them out. That's right. how we treat people. And part yeah. of their premise that was the most fascinating and most heartwarming to me was that they recognized people have to heal from the trauma of homelessness. And they give them the space. They make space for people to adjust to that before the expectations are put on them. But once people heal, start to get better, there's a social enterprise to work at. They get paid when mm -hmm. they get to that point. Then what do they want to do? They want to help someone else. And who is the most likely person to effectively help someone else? That's someone who's walked in those shoes, been there before. That's what I learned in social work. I had to unlearn so many things I learned in social work and in, in school because it's the people with lived experience that are the experts and the teachers. They know if we listen to them and walk with them. And that's, that's what works. And that's what gives people their life back and their humanity back. And they get over the trauma, they heal, and everyone wants to have meaning. So then they say, well, what can I do? to help this community. And that's how it grows into a beautiful thing. I, I really feel we have a college, a university, we have a, you know, ECO, the Endeavor Center. We have some amazing institutions here that if all their expertise of the people in there, we could build the most innovative community of any of them. If we, if we can get it together, I really believe that. And it, it inspires me every day. And this is era we're in isn't, often inspiring some days but i really believe in it so much and i think the more we take the small steps talk about it find the right people and and as steven said just start it just just really whatever it takes to get it off the ground i think it can work for a lot in the long term it's not it doesn't have overnight to build a big community but it will grow into one and, it, and we'll all be the better for it, economically, socially, way, in every way. Justice, the right thing and, to and do. I, and I think it's interesting because you, you, well, everyone here has heard the saying, you know, and it's said to people who are in a difficult position or homeless or suffering with some sort of trauma, people will say to them, well, pull up your socks. You can do it. You, right. you know, all you have to do is pull up your socks. Well, I think it's time that the politicians and the, the community in general pull up their socks and as they yes. and and make the job happen. It's really ah. all the resources are there. Uh, I'm not joking in saying that there are there are construction it's constructability to be able to do this community as well or better than than Susan and Dan are talking about and get it done very quickly and very effectively. Right. They just need to pull up their – they need to stop telling the people on the street to pull up their socks and pull up their socks and make the thing happen. Like, it's happened in other places. I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not I, – this, this isn't political or anything. Mary Monsef, she grew up in U.N. refugee camps. It's they can build a U.N. refugee camp in a matter of weeks. We can't build homeless – we can't build homes for homeless people here in Canada in years. It's like, Miriam, give your head a shake, go out and walk and see the people. It's talk to them and listen. 
you grew up in UN refugee camps and they could build them overnight. And we were, people are sleeping under bridges. There's people sleeping in parks, unsheltered. It's, there was another guy that got kicked out of the Brock mission last week and he died behind uh, Park Hill Animal Hospital. It's like, this is a shame. People are dying in the police station bathrooms because they don't have a safe place to go. Give your head a shake, you politicians. Get it together. My phone's going to die. Where could Peterborough, you've mentioned a few places like Austin, like Medicine Hat. Where could Peterborough, and I mean all of Peterborough, look to for models of how to make this happen? I mean, who's got it right in Canada and the States? Are there any communities that have done a good job? Unfortunately, Dan, just his phone dropped off. He, his right, battery right. died, right. so he did. But I'll, I'll answer this quickly is that I know that certainly in Canada, the designs that, that uh, I – the projects that I led in Vancouver were worked very well and have worked very effectively in Vancouver and British Columbia. And quite honestly, I think British Columbia is way ahead of, of Ontario in – working through the homelessness uh, challenge. And I think there in Medicine Hat, as you've heard of in other small communities in Canada, I think in the United States there are some, and and Susan maybe could speak to that uh, in what's happening in other places. Those are the ones I'm familiar with. Um, And I think there's lots of opportunities to, uh, the easy part is building, building the structures. That's, quite honestly, the easy part. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't, you know, I'm not, we're learning about it. We're, we're learning. And I mean, Dan, you know, we can't, we can't move ahead by, you know, necessarily targeting individuals and so on, but I hear his frustration and I know there are great people out there, politicians, neighbors, people that have tried to do so much but because the need is so desperate right now and people like dan work so hard every day and literally are suffer with what they see and just feel feel like it's so slow moving moving forward you know i just i think that's that's what you just heard and it's disturbing but maybe we should be disturbed you know and and I know it's not fun for people to hear, you know, hear themselves called names and things, but that's the level of frustration there is. And and it's, it's eye-opening. I mean, there are communities, you know, I'm just starting to research it, but Northern Ontario, there are some now where they're trying to buy, they're trying to get property that was uh, trailer parks or get land, and they're trying to find their own what works in their community and developers are trying to build these villages and that's what it is a village without being ghettoized you don't want to have it where oh there's all those homeless people no you you don't want that all in one spot away from out of sight out of mind it's it's a slippery you can't you've got to be careful not to have that but that's not what we're talking about in the models that really work it's a gradual finding the right spot with the right people to start and the right flexible support and sustainability and building enterprises building even you know there's mental health there's a clinics in inside the one in austin texas so people come there acknowledging that there's going to be bumps in the road people are going to come with all kinds of issues and just like in any community or neighborhood or 
apartment block or whatever you have, there's going to be interpersonal stuff with mental health and addictions that many homeless people have and people that are struggling out there. There's going to be issues to deal with and there has to be structuring. There has to be guidelines. There has to be people have to be accountable for themselves. But if you honestly build build it so that people are loved, accepted, I think they want to. People want to grow into themselves, become who they always wanted, saw themselves as being. No one, no one grows up thinking, I want to live on the street from the time I'm 12 years old and never have a home and never know where my next shower or meal is coming from. I mean, that's absurd. Sure. That complex, but it's simple, I guess. Now, someone earlier in our discussion mentioned that these these communities that we've talked about aren't necessarily uh, all the same people. They're not just group. They're not only groups of homeless people. There's also maybe seniors in there, students, uh, you know, people who who don't have the the funds to participate in the the rental market or, or homeowning. They can live there as well. In other words, they're integrated communities. Is there an example of that somewhere? Community first is the one the one that, that the video that Dan brought in. I think that's what yep. he was so excited about because there's levels of partic- there's different roles of participation in there. So people can anybody can come and visit too. They have on site. They have a whole area that's that's set up like an like an Airbnb where people mm-hmm. can come and live there. And eat with people and uh, if they want, contribute, do a bit of work around the place and just see what it's like to decide whether it's something right. they'd like to look into. But just go out there to volunteer. Okay, I'm going to teach pottery. I'm going to teach, uh, uh, you know, there's a store. I'm going to teach people how to learn retail. There's a like gift shop. There's all these things. There's mentors, like almost like so there's people who go out to be more or less counselors. So there's all these different roles that people try to fit into. People aren't forced to, well, you have to choose a path right away. As I said, it's a gradual thing where they get to a place where they're ready to think, okay, what could I what 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 can I do here? Sure. We're winding down here. Just in terms of last words, what two or three actions could the community of Peterborough take, which includes city government, but includes all the citizens, to move forward with this and once and for all uh, fix homelessness? Wow. Uh, Well, I'll jump in and let Susan have the last word, which is I would say that two or three things they can do are very simple ones which is the city government just has to either technically with an RFP, a request for proposal, or they just have to ask the, you know, the construction slash modular industry in the area, say, hey, we want to plan a community, plan a community for us and give them an idea of how many people do you want to have there? What are the things? I mean, geez, I can provide that even to them and just say, hey, this is what we're looking for. I think between Dan, Susan, myself, we give them a description of exactly what you want in the community. And then the uh, the and then price it out. And then city of Peterborough just has to say, okay, uh, who's going to do this for me? And move on from there. The way they buy anything else, they just need to buy the housing and get the job done. Any last words, Susan? Uh-huh. I think that would be wonderful. I think that will be wonderful, and I I hope we get to that. I think I think, as I said, maybe it's 
it's going to take a little bit more time than that just to get the momentum to really lobby for to continuously ask the question, put it to the the people that can request these proposals that can that can do this for people like ourselves, but other people that haven't been repeating these things over and over other other new people, and we just have to keep lobbying, raising awareness, and providing information places like this forum and out into the community at large about what the benefits are and then have some ideas of what it's going to look like, some models to present and hopefully get out there and show that to service, all kinds of groups, just so people go, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense to me. That's something I could get a part of because we know when people want to volunteer, want to get something fundraising or whatever going that can be a big part of it, or volunteer services. In Peterborough, it's a caring community. They will do that. We'll get it done. So it's just changing the mindset, basically, I think. Because somehow it seems like it, it's it been a bad word, the whole tiny homes. It just doesn't seem like it's it's gotten the momentum it needs to. So we're we're determined to just keep, keep at it. And thank you, Stephen, for being an advocate for it. And we need the hope. We need hopefulness that that it can once that happens it can move forward quickly because the need is sure great well that's great well thank you so much so susan and steve and of course dan who thank you so much for joining me on this panel discussion this is bill templeman just a footnote i made a reference uh, at the beginning of the program that we have touched on homelessness and housing and urban planning in Peterborough a fair amount. So here's a list of the podcasts. If you go to uh, podcast episodes, if you go back to pintsandpolitics.ptpopodcasters.ca, starting with uh, episode number 38 on urban planning, episode 40, we looked at downtown, Number 48, delved into housing. Then number 66, episode 66, we looked at part one. We looked at homelessness and the emergence of Tent City back in 2019. Episode 67, homelessness uh, as it appeared in the election, federal election campaign of 2019. Then uh, episode 69, again, we touched on homelessness in Tent City. Episode 73, covered basic income. Interview with Dr. Evelyn Forgette referenced homelessness in there and housing and then episode 83 homelessness during the pandemic so if you're interested in the issue uh, by all means check those uh, episodes out